Good morning. Hope everybody had a, a good Christmas day yesterday with, with family and maybe a, a nap is due today. I don't know. I think it is in our home, I hope. And uh, Taking a break, we'll be finding Colossians this morning. Colossians. We're going to take a break from our study in Revelation just this week. We'll be right back uh, picking up with the church in Thyatira next week. But I wanted to look at the, in the church of Colossae today. Colossians 1 and verse 27, as we think about the incarnation, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Colossians 1, 27, let's stand to our feet in, in reverence and honor of God's word. Colossians 1 and verse 27, to them God chose to, to, them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, as we gather ourselves today, most likely most of us have had a busy last several days. And so, Lord, we've prioritized in our life this holy day and holy weekend that we may center ourselves on the very core and essence of our faith which is that you sent your son to us and so lord as center ourselves on the truth of this so that we may apply this into our life in profoundly simple and sacrificial ways Speak to your people today and encourage us, Lord, as you always do and as you always promise to do as we open up your word to receive from you wisdom and knowledge and comfort in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you approach this letter, this letter that was written again, remember the primary context and in the New Testament, when especially in Paul's writings, is oftentimes of the church, the gathering of the redeemed. This letter was written. We find a church facing the exact same things that we have seen in these in other churches, churches that are struggling, working hard, dealing with issues of truth, of false teaching. All of that is here in Colossians, as it was in Ephesus and Pergamum. Matter of fact, if you got your scripture open there, look at verse 24 of Colossians 1. It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That word afflictions is the same word we've been seeing in Revelation for tribulation. And what Paul is doing for the church is he's connecting his suffering, his tribulation, with the tribulations of Christ. One begets the other because he is reflecting Christ. He is obeying the commands of Christ. The result is afflictions in his life. It's the privilege of being related to Christ. We've talked about that. We see the same thing happening here. 
the need, the universal need in our culture today, as in that day, is for the truth of the gospel to be heard and embraced no matter what it cost his people. Here's the question that came to the early church. And it seems with all the division, especially among ethnic groups, even today, it seems like it has only gotten worse in years past. We still need to ask this question. Is, is the gospel of Jesus only a Jewish thing? Can only certain people be saved? So let's understand a little bit of the context here. Colossians 1 Look back at verse 3. Paul says to his church, to the church, We always thank God, the Father of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. As it also does among you since the day you heard it and understand the grace of God and truth. So we get this understanding that the gospel is spreading to the whole world. It's not just a Jewish thing. It's not just an American thing. So the questions of the text... What does it mean that God the Son can be in us? And by that we mean in context, He can be either in Jew or Greek, slave or free, Jew or Gentile. What does it mean? How does it happen? And what does it really matter? Believers seek to answer this is one of the core reasons we celebrate Christmas. Better said, we celebrate the incarnation of God the Son. Important quote, we're going to come back to this over and over in the message today. Jesus does not offer salvation apart from offering himself. And we cannot experience salvation apart from experiencing Christ. This is not about asking Jesus into your heart and moving on with life. This is about experiencing Christ now. Well, that's what the redeemed experience. This gospel is not a system. It is not a hierarchy. It is not simply a set of rules and regulations. It is about the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is the center of the message. It is about the incarnation. It is about God with us. And so I want us to see today, Jesus joined himself to our humanity so that we might be joined to his. Jesus joined himself to our humanity. He's joined to dwell with us. So if you've got Colossians, look at verse 15. And as you look at that, we're going to read it. Remember how Revelation began. It begins the same way this book does, with the preeminence of Christ. Colossians 1.15 says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For 
by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So when we come to say we celebrate Jesus born in a manger, this baby born in a manger, here's what we are saying as Christians. He is the eternal only God. He is God the Son. He is the creator of all things. He is over all things. And He will be glorified in all things. That's who we celebrate at Christmas. That's who the baby in the manger was. He joined Himself to our humanity to dwell with us. And so let's look at the Christmas story. Luke 1, 26. And let's see it. Luke 1, 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at the sayings and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. John summarizes it this way in John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son of the Father, full of truth, grace. He was joined to dwell, and like we just got through seeing on the screen, He was joined to die. He was joined to die for us. There again, we see Paul laying this out clearly in Colossians. Look at verse 19 and 20. For in Him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him, through Christ, to reconcile to Himself, listen, all things, whether on heaven or in earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. He came to die. We are the first fruits of that which is to be reconciled. First his people and then everything. Still waiting for that. Ephesians 1, 7 says this. In Christ we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. And here's an important word, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. 
joined to dwell, joined to die, and joined to live in us. Back to our core text, verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the mystery, you see, this Christmas, Christ in you. You could actually say it this way, Christ in me? You'd you'd sort of be getting to the tone of what Paul wants the church to grab a hold of. Christ in you? Look at verse 21. This is the you. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in minds doing evil deeds. That's the you. Christ in me? This one who was hostile to the things of God, who didn't need God, who wasn't looking for God. He thought I had it together all by myself. Christ in me? This word mystery really means secret. It was something that was hidden now that has been revealed, disclosed to the saints. What is the mystery? Well, here in this context, what he's talking about is that God has chosen to include the nations in the blessings of salvation. The Gentiles, these God-hating, idol-worshiping, immoral people. That's the mystery. Paul is saying now that they, like us, Jews and Gentiles only have one hope, the person and work of Jesus Christ. Listen to this quote. For Paul, this mystery is one aspect of the gospel, but it draws from its center as its point to the powerful work of God in the death of Christ that breaks down ethnic and cosmic barriers in the creation of the one people. This is the mystery. It's not a Jewish thing. It's not an American thing. It's not a white thing or a brown thing. It is Christ's plan to gather people from the nations into one people. This is the purpose of the incarnation. That Christ being us, this one people made up of all peoples. This is all of our hope. Titus 2, 13, it says, This is the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, for the Jewish people, their hope was in the Torah, the law. And what they longed for is that one day the Messiah was going to come and He was going to reinstitute the Torah. But the text says that Jesus is the hope of glory. You see what that points to? That it was Christ who fulfilled the law. He now is our focus. Colossians 2, 3 says that Christ is the one whom all hidden, all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge. That we are those, no matter where we come from, no matter what we've done, that we are those who follow Christ and follow Him alone. And that all peoples, no matter where they come from, homeless, drug addict, prostitute, or wealthy businessman, can come and must come humbly to the cross. And if they are, 
They join the renown of the redeemed. This says what Galatians 2, 19 and 20 says. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself for me. That if that person that we meet on the street who have done things that you don't even like to think about, bows the knee to King Jesus. Jesus came to earth to redeem him and to bring him to the same family you're a part of. No distinction. That's the gospel. This is why he came. He joined himself to humanity to dwell with us, to die for us, to live in us. Jesus joins us when he comes to our humanity, to himself. John Calvin challenges us to think about it this way. We must not contemplate Christ outside ourselves from afar. We must not contemplate Christ outside ourselves from afar. In other words, the incarnation isn't merely for us to sit around in a classroom and philosophize about, to write papers on. It's your story. It's very personal. It's very corporately our story. It's about Christ in us. And that that truth, that single, simple, profound truth, gives you hope in your today and glory in your tomorrow. That's why people go bearing their cross. Because Christ is in us. What can the world do to us, you see? But Christ didn't take on humanity to simply be our substitute redeemer in isolation from you. He came and dwelt with us, joined in our very humanity. And it is the humanity that He intends on both recreating and reorienting towards God. It is not only our hope, it is this nation's hope. And it was going to happen one day. We are simply the first fruits. We are joined, you see, to Himself by the Holy Spirit. So many passages, just one, two, really. 1 John 4, 13 says this, By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. Many passages I could use for an illustration. 1 Corinthians was, is one of the most profound, and I think in our culture today, one of the most important. You see, the church in Corinth had problems. We know that. We preached through Corinthians a while back. There was a lot of Greeks and Greco-Romans being saved. They, were, they, they didn't have the same moral framework than the Jewish people did. And so it didn't take long before sexual immorality to become an issue in the church, and Paul's dealing with it. How's he going to deal with it? Answer, the incarnation. Here's what he says. Look at verse 17, 1 Corinthians 6, 17. He says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Now that's one of those... Verses you just need to take with you today and think through it. 
I said this last week. We probably need to read less and think more. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with the Lord. At our very essence level of who we now are as Christians, there is a joining with God. That's how you motivate people to holiness. So he goes on to say in verse 11, Because of this, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual sin. But the sexual immoral person sins against his own body, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You've been bought with a price because of that. Because you have been joined to Him. Glorify Him in your body. You see that? We've been joined to God by the Holy Spirit. He resides within our very natures now. We're joined by the Holy Spirit through spiritual adoption. Talked about this Christmas Eve. He pulled us in closer. Galatians 4 4 says it this way. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Do you see the gradual, the pulling in? He was incarnated. Come of a woman born under the law so that we might receive adoption. Verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of a son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We have been joined through the Holy, by the Holy Spirit through our adoption, listen, for communion. We've been joined to His nature. Listen, to enjoy God and enjoy each other forever. There again, what we said before. Jesus doesn't offer salvation apart from offering Himself. In other words, if you don't want Christ, you don't get to get out of hell free. That's not the way it works. (laughs) To be saved is that we get Christ... How you know you have Him forever is you have Him now. You have Him now. And we can't experience salvation apart from experiencing Christ. I just want us too many things. Didn't want to give us too much to think about. We've all had a, a long year and probably busy Christmas. But I do want us to get a couple good things. There is some tangible realities to our communion couple of inseparable thoughts here. Our union to each other is created through our union with Christ. I have more in common with my brothers and sisters in Honduras than I do with, a, with if I had a family member that wasn't born again. I have a union that has been created This is so close. 
and so inseparable and is so critical to you understanding the implications of the incarnation that Paul uses body language to grab a hold of this. That we are, because we're Christian, inseparably parts of one body with one head. And you don't get to pick what part you are. God does. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 says it this way. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And all were made to drink one spirit. <laughs> there is a visible, tangible expression to the communion of the saints, to the reality that the incarnation brought with us, a real communion, a real experiencing Christ. And the visible, tangible expression of that is us. We didn't create this church. God did. And churches plant churches. Because it all comes from Him. Notice this also. Inseparably connected to this thought. Our union with Christ then. Creates something. And what He creates is a union with each other. You said, is that the same thing? It is, but it's not. These things are inseparably created. I hear this all the time. I got, me and Jesus got something worked out. Who needs the local church? I bet Jesus into my heart. By the way, please find that. I have Jesus in my heart. I'm okay. If we are connected to Christ, we are connected with His people. Listen, wherever they come from, whatever color they are, whatever, whatever culture that God saves them in from, we are one. He goes on to say in chapter 12 and verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seems to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our presentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the... Listen, this is the application of this. The application now of the incarnation. But that they might have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, we all suffer together. If one member honored, we all rejoice together. Did not you pause for a minute yesterday as you enjoyed your family and remembered that there are those among us that lost their families this year? They're suffering. Did you suffer just a little bit yesterday? I had a conversation with somebody leaving the Christmas Eve service. They had a hole in their heart because they've lost their father. All of us suffer that. That's what he's saying. We are that connected to one another because Jesus came. Because God is with us. He has created something. 
It's inseparable and it is called the body of Christ. We are the tangible expression of what it means to be in Christ. He's given you each other. A couple more so that's today. You see, Jesus joined himself to our humanity so that we might live in hope. If you're in your notes, we're in the application already, right? Christmas, giving you a gift, shorter sermon than normal. So that we might live in hope. I'm just going to say more here. I'm not going to say as much because I've added something that's not in your notes. I just want you to see at chapter 2 in verse 6 of Colossians. It says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So walk in him. How do we live in this hope? Christ in us, a hope of glory. I I can simply point you to chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 here. Let me just read it. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, Seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set your minds on the things that are above. And not on the things that are on earth. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. You want to get hope. Just get verse 3. Here's what I want you to see. How do you walk? How do you live in hope? You seek Christ with all your might. Verse 1. You set your mind on Christ, verse 2. You see, this is the simple truth. What we seek after and how we think determines how we walk. Right? Very simple. It's very true. It's, It's universal. What we seek after and how we think determines how we walk. And so, let Christ be the ultimate thing we seek after. And let Him determine what we give our minds to. Some of you are worrying yourselves to death because you are not setting your minds on the things of Christ. You are setting them on the value system that this world has given you. So today, He's calling us to live out the effects of the incarnation in our life by living in hope, by walking in Christ, by governing what we think and what we seek after the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Can we get more specific? Well, I think we can, and I think the Lord wants us to, so the last part of your notes are just for you, because I'm not going to use those. I want to say this today, so if you're taking notes, you're going to have to write this down. Jesus joined himself to our humanity so that we may live incarnational lives. Jesus joined himself to our humanity so that in reflection to Christ, we live incarnational lives. Now, what is that? Have you heard that term before? This is sort of the whole point, Paul's sort of Christmas point. Jesus came in in order to create people, one people, from the nations. How are me and you going to join him in that work? How do we be a part of this? Well, three words. Dwell, abide, 
and gather. Dwell, abide, and gather. This is how not only we follow Christ, it is how we help other people follow Christ. You see, incarnational living enters people's world first. And by the way, this is the opposite of a church that embraces a come and see attitude. We just don't embrace that here, unapologetically so. I'm not trying to build some kind of big building and some kind of show on Sunday and, and put a marquee outside that says, everybody come and see. I'm trying to equip you, brothers and sisters, to go into the lives of the broken and the hurting and to live among them because that's what Jesus did for us. It's that simple. You want a church to grow and to blow out the seams. Well, that's the way it grows. Not by stealing other people's sheep by putting on a bigger show than the church down the street. We live like our Jesus, and He came into this world, and He invested most of in His life to 12 messed up dudes. <laughs> Amen? That's pretty simple. Just follow Him around. Yeah, He did some preaching. He spent a lot of time with those dudes. Saying, did y'all get that? Did y'all understand that? Incarnational living enters people's world first. And listen, it abides there. Incarnational living then abides in order to build trust and relationship with the very people that you want to gather. Not gathered yet. We've got people in our own families that are not gathered yet. That's what I'm saying today. I've been talking a lot about sticky lately if you've been talking to me. Incarnational living is the sticky of your life. You enter into people's life, wherever you might find them, and you stick to them. You abide with them. Why? Because that's what the Lord does for us. Incarnational living then, thirdly, gets to the gospel. Being nice and being relational is not enough. You can be nice and relational with people and they still die and go to hell. Worst problem in people's life is not that they're hungry or they're homeless. The worst thing in people's life is they're an enemy of God and the wrath of God abides on them. And unless they repent, they will perish. Incarnational living enters into their world. It builds trust and relationship, but it does it for the purpose of getting to the gospel that is their gathering. We dwell, we abide, and we gather. If there is one secret that Jesus wants us to get, to living in hope. It is the more you help other people grow, the happier, the healthier, and the more hope you have. For did not Jesus say as he left, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let us give ourselves to this one great mission to incarnate our lives the way Christ did for us so that the nations might worship Him. Let's pray. So Lord, we have gathered to sing, really Lord, every week, 
about this mystery. No matter what we've been through, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, that if we have repented and put our faith in Christ, the very Spirit of God dwells within us. And our life, our life, as hard as it is, is hidden with you. We gather every week to remind ourselves of these wonderful truths, to sing about them, to experience your grace, so that we may go out and live and display and reflect the life of your Son in this broken and lost world. And so, God, this Christmas, no matter what we've gained or lost this year, we give you gratefulness that we will never lose you because you have chosen us. You have placed us in the palm of your sovereign hand and we call you Abba. And you are a good father. And it is to you that we give our Worship and our glory and honor today. And we do this in the name of Jesus. In who now we come to remember as we come to the table. We come to remember His person. This is God. He was man. We come to remember, Father, that He stood in our place. As our kinsman redeemer. Our substitute. He was our scapegoat. And that he died. We come to remember. That he did not stay dead. But that he rose again. Lord we come to remember. That he created the church the communion of the saints by which we can together enjoy you. And we remember that there is coming a day that will never end. This great eighth day when there will be a new heaven and a new earth with everything oriented towards you. No sin, no sickness, no loss. We come to remember that day is assured us because our King is alive. All this we remember now as we stand and worship you in the name of your Son, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen.